Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today, we're going to talk about betting apps. So let me tell you a story. Two weeks ago, I was at home trying to watch an FA Cup match between Liverpool and Shrewsbury. I couldn't find it anywhere on TV because it wasn't on TV. Then I glanced at my phone's sports results app, LiveScore. Incredibly, it was exclusively broadcasting the match within the app. There was just one catch. I'd have to watch it on LiveScore's sister app, LiveScore Bet. And to do that, I'd have to sign up for the betting service and deposit some funds. Now, signing up to something temporarily for a single purpose is something I regularly do. It could be a streaming platform, a service with a free introductory period. I'd say many listeners have done the same thing. So I thought, look, I'll just sign up, watch the match and quit. So I went ahead and did that. Liverpool won the match, job done. So I went to close my betting account. And that's when the trouble started. Frustratingly, the app wouldn't let me shut down my account. So I got onto its live message-based customer support and repeated that I wanted to close the account. They said, no, it wasn't as simple as that, and I had to give reasons why. The best they could do, I was told, was to be categorised as self-excluded, which is a category offered to gamblers, usually suffering from problems or addiction. Six times I asked for it to be closed. Six times I was directly refused. Eventually, my account was put into a self-excluded status for six months, meaning I'd have to go back to them in July and start the whole process over again. Now, I'm not somebody who bets much. The only time I ever do it is against my own football team, Liverpool, in big crunch matches. And that's purely to try and jinx the other team. I'm always hoping I'll lose the bet. So for me, all of this was an eye-opener. And if it's this hard to quit a gambling app for me, how much more challenging is it for someone suffering from gambling addiction? Why would a betting app make it so hard to close an account that was opened so easily? Well, I put my journalist hat on and contacted LiveScore Bet's parent company, the Anzo Group. The company apologized to me and then described it as an isolated incident. Even still, They told me that they wouldn't be deleting my account because of what they claim to be regulatory rules in Gibraltar, where they're based. They would be keeping all of my account details on hand for up to seven years. Once more, I was taken aback. Keep my file, my name, my address, my phone number, my email and other details for seven years. Who could be making the rules for these online betting services? Well, I decided to look a little wider into this betting world. So, keeping my journalist hat on, I decided to sign up to some other well-known, much-used betting apps in Ireland. 
And what I've found so far, even in the last few days, has been another series of eye-openers. One app, Boil Sports, has allowed me to sign up, deposit money, bet and withdraw money, all without any account verification or photo ID, which is pretty much against industry rules here in Ireland. And that's just the beginning. All of the prominent betting apps I've tried, Paddy Power, Boil Sports, Bet365 and Betway, let me bet using a credit card, something that's forbidden under Ireland's betting industry code. By the way, that wasn't some sort of clever hack that I did within the apps. In the case of Bet365 and Boil Sports, I simply nominated my Apple Pay or Google Pay credit card as the payment mechanism. There was no trickery or confusion about it. My betting apps, my betting payments, say credit card, or it did to me anyway. Boil Sports and others would later claim that this isn't necessarily the case on their side, arguing that they can't always tell when a payment is a credit or a debit card. In the case of Paddy Power and Betway, it's slightly less visible as it's through Revolut. My Revolut is attached to my credit card. But both Paddy Power and Betway accepted it. Paddy Power later told me that they're aware of this. So, so far, my MasterCard credit card is down a few euro from a handful of losing bets on these services. But if it's this straightforward for a light dabbler like me to bet using a credit card against what Ireland says its rules are, how hard must it be for those suffering from gambling problems to put themselves into terrible debt? If betting firms won't adhere to regulations they sign up to, how do Ireland's estimated 50,000 problem gamblers kick their addiction? I put my evidence to the betting companies involved. One of them, Boyle Sports, denied flat out that any of it could have happened. But the next time I logged into my account, it had been changed and I could no longer bet in the same way. Another of the firms, Paddy Power, described the credit card route through Revolut as a loophole in Ireland. Betting firms, he said, have no visibility on which Revolut accounts, individually, link to credit or debit cards. But he acknowledged that Revolut isn't used for online bets in the UK because that country has modern online betting laws that are strict. Because Ireland only has an industry voluntary code, Paddy Power and other betting firms don't have a clear legal rule against using credit cards through Revolut. So the loophole is allowed to be suffered here as opposed to in the UK. I asked Paddy Power, couldn't they still suspend Revolut as a payment method, knowing that it's now used as a credit card payment method? I mean, it might lose some bets in the process from Revolut, Revolut debit card holders, but wouldn't they be putting the greater good first? Paddy Power spokesperson then declined to answer that question. Having dived into this world of voluntary codes and lack of enforceable rules, the actual answer to my questions is becoming clear. Paddy Power and all of the other betting firms are not going to forgo the potential revenue from credit cards based on a voluntary code. They'll do it in the UK or any else, anywhere else with a law, but not in Ireland. Well, joining me today to discuss this and wider issues around online gambling in Ireland are Professor John O'Brennan, who is the Jean Monnet Chair of European Integration at Maynooth University, and who has been studying extensively the effects of gambling, and Tony O'Reilly, a gambling counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling, a free helpline and counselling service for people with gambling problems. You're both very welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you, Adrian. Okay, let me ask you first, John, 
Let me ask you about trying to quit. Are you surprised that it was so hard for me to quit a gambling app like LifeScoreBet? Not in the least, Adrian. Um, your experience is very much consistent, I think, with uh, a world in which we have gone from sport being associated with gambling with varying degrees of intensity depending on the sport to one in which gambling increasingly dominates sport. Yesterday, I took a look through one of the industry's um, daily publications and it demonstrates on, that on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, sports teams and well-established brands are increasingly partnering with betting companies for a whole variety of reasons. And if you combine that with deregulation of the sport in the United States, which is only something that's beginning to happen. Um, I think what you're seeing is uh, that many people, when they think about sport now, think almost exclusively in terms of gambling. And we know from research that that's particularly true of football and particularly true of young men between 15 and 24. Often their way into gambling is firstly through their football team and secondly through the free bets and other inducements offered by gambling companies to draw people in. And we have an astonishing amount of testimony where these cases have ended up tragically in suicide or where people have ended up being terribly damaged, that this is exactly the pathway in. And in particular, I think football teams, the continued association with gambling and the way in which gambling adverts, marketing and promotion runs all the way through the kind of ex the way we experience or consume sport, it is incredibly damaging. And I don't think the Irish experience is that different to other jurisdictions. What is different is that we have virtually no regulation in Ireland. What you're describing in respect of Gibraltar is the fact that um, these companies have the, the regulatory loophole available to them that they're able to regulate in Gibraltar or Malta, and that offers them the out, even from the voluntary measures that they have introduced, the voluntary code on credit card uh, bans, for example. So what you're pointing to really is a kind of Wild West landscape, and it's one that is desperately in need of regulation. Tony, you in the past have been quite public about your own gambling addiction many years ago. If you wouldn't mind, would you mind recapping what that was and how you coped with it? Yeah, I suppose over 10 and a half years ago, I had a, um, in the midst of a severe gambling addiction. The landscape was slightly different than what it is now, um, I suppose, especially in our experience of working with clients that are coming through our doors now. And it all started for me with a one pound bet on the 98 World Cup. And I was 24 at the time, which I suppose in today's terms is relatively late to get to the party when it comes to gambling. And it was done in the bookie office and online at the time still wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was even existed. It was only starting to, to come into play. And my gambling really took a turn then in 2003 when I opened up my online account because um, being able to, as you mentioned with the credit card, being able to gamble on credit for me, um, at a time where it didn't feel like real money, I was I was gambling with borrowed money that wasn't impacting my day-to-day um, -day or week-to-week -week living. And it quickly became a problem because um, I was able to do it from the comfort of my own home, first and foremost, on my PC. 
And then when the I think Paddy Power were the first um, company to get gambling apps on the mobile devices, and when I did get a mobile device in 2007, 2008, um, it really escalated because I had it with me um, 24 hours a day. And my gambling um, at the time, the Celtic Tiger, I was able to get loans, pay off the credit card and continue that process. And my addiction really um, escalated very, very quickly to the point where I started stealing money from my employer to fuel the addiction. And that, again, spiraled out of control very quickly. Um, by the time I was discovered, I'd stolen $1.75 million from my employer on post which is well documented, as you said, in various, um, in the book or and also on different podcasts that we do. And it really, I, I, I suppose in, in reflecting on it over the last 10 years in recovery, I am really taken back by how quickly that escalated. And that's where I am kind of really worried about the developments that you've brought to light and, and what John is talking about as well is that how many young people now are being uh, exposed to uh, online offers, online targeting um, by advertisements. And especially with what you brought up with the live score is that now people are watching the matches on their devices, whether it be an iPad or, or, or their smartphone, and they have the facility to bet on that same device. Whereas, you know, if I was gambling years ago, I was maybe watching it on a television and I'd have to literally either go down to the bookies to place a bet or it'll go to my phone. But now it's on the same device. And that can be only a recipe for disaster. John, you co-authored an excellent report uh, called Gambling Trends, Harms and, Pro- and Responses with uh, Professor Alfred Kerr and uh, Lucia Vasquez-Mendoza. Um, how many people in Ireland do you think have a gambling disorder at this point? Well, I think it's very difficult to tell, Adrian, because we simply don't have a satisfactory evidence base to make really hard and concrete claims about this. We've tried to estimate as well as we could based on the evidence that was in the public domain, but our estimate of a prevalence rate of 0.8%, that is 0.8% of the Irish population can be classified as problem gamblers, it is based on a survey that was done in 2014-15 by the Health Research Board. We There has been a follow-up survey to that one conducted, but the data hasn't as yet been subject to secondary analysis. So we don't know in that sort of six-year, seven-year period where actually the technologies available, as Tony has said, uh, have become more and more sophisticated and widely available. We don't know whether that has made a concrete difference. We do know, however, from other jurisdictions that the problem seems to be escalating. Um, In Australia, for example, the number of problem gamblers, it is estimated in 2021, that the rate had increased from about 0.9% to about 1.23%. And this is consistent with other jurisdictions as well. And remember that when we talk about a prevalence rate of that order, we're really talking about the people who are experiencing extreme harm or extreme problems as a result of their engagement with gambling. It doesn't include, for example, a whole other category of people who might well be classified as having some uh, problems with gambling, and indeed they may be in the kind of antechamber to the really um, addictive sort of disordered category of people. So 
I, I firstly, we need more research. And secondly, uh, uh, we need, uh, I think, the state, for the state to properly resource that research uh, and to also then properly resource treatment. Because Ireland, again, stands out, I think, in this respect, that we kind of devolve the treatment of people who are suffering from gambling addiction to private charities. Um, external problem gambling, for example, uh, which Tony is involved with, does extraordinarily good work. But we really, there has to be a case, I think, for the, the state to set up properly resourced clinics to help people with their gambling addiction. And in particular, to look at this issue of um, youth exposure to gambling and uh, problem gambling that is associated with that key cohort of people, some sort of 14 through to, to, to 30. So there's, there's a lot more we could do, but certainly good research and having a good evidence base upon which to base your policy making is key. And I think we have an opportunity to do this because although we are way behind our European Union partner states, for example, in many respects, in, in respect of regulation, we do have new legislation coming through this year that will be followed by the setting up of an independent regulator. And so we have the opportunity, I think, to learn from other jurisdictions and to put the different pieces in place that might help us to adequately tackle this problem. Tony, John talks about new legislation coming through and how to tackle this issue in approaching and talking to authorities here from the government to the Irish Bookmakers Association, which is the one that sets the voluntary safer gambling code, uh, the rules of which I've just shown are being bent uh, quite a, a bit. The impression that I have gotten is that while there's a lot of sympathy around this issue, there isn't a massive amount of uh, infrastructure or resources to actually deal with it. And I can't help but wonder, is that the flip side of Ireland having a very strong, in many cases, a very vibrant, uh, but a very, very strong betting industry here? Yeah, I think I, I agree with what John was saying. We do need proper research first and foremost, but we also need proper services. Like there is very, you know, the the funding that's coming from, um, the funding comes through the Gambling Awareness Trust for the services there. And while a lot of the organizations are doing really, really good work to try help and support, we need um, gambling-specific um, community setups to really help and support people. Um, the gambling industry in Ireland is is um, is huge, I suppose, and, and, and that's kind of borne out by the fact that a lot of the betting tax is put back into the into, into the industry through the greyhound industry and also the racing industry with no money ring fenced for for kind of research um awareness campaigns or kind of support for people who have been impacted by it and i think that does need to change and we, and again we're i've been working in this space since i've been in recovery for 10 years and i think the tide is slowly turning and i'm really hopeful that you know the regulation and legislation does come in place by the end of the year because I think that needs to happen for the follow-on or knock-on effect to um, help and support people who have been impacted by this. Because we're seeing huge numbers coming through the doors at the moment, looking for help and support. And, um, you know, we're only a small, you know, charity trying to um, do a lot of work in this space, um, but we need more funding to help us grow that as well. And what mainly are these people telling you? What are their stories? 
it's uh, first and foremost, we're seeing a lot more women looking for help and support. We're seeing a lot more family members looking for help and support. And it's a it's a definitely a younger cohort of people. You know, like I've, I'm working with 18, 19, 20 year olds who lives have been um, devastated by gambling. Um, it's a lot of it is online. That's where a lot of the problems are. Um, and also, you know, you touched on like age verification not being kind of adhered to by a lot of the industry. And I'm hearing that a lot as well, that, you know, we're able to get the bets on, no problem. Then when we develop a problem, um, we can't, um, we're finding it difficult to self-exclude. We're finding it difficult to, um, to even sometimes when they are trying to withdraw money, they might have that kind of moment where they're saying, right, I need to get some money out. And they're being even delayed getting money back out of the accounts. And, and they're kind of being hit with different reasons as you've, you know, you've been hit with a brick wall a lot, you know, in the last couple of, days and weeks looking for reasons but i think more so it's something that i try to take on board from some of the client work as i've done in the last couple of months is that like we have gamban which is a brilliant um app that you can kind of self-exclude or you don't have access to online sites but i always find i also found over the last couple of months that actually trying to self-exclude from physical bookies is near on impossible and they make it very hard to um for people to self-exclude in offices like someone who's vulnerable from a gambling problem in recovery, they physically have to walk into the office where it can be very triggering on the on the screens um, to self-exclude. And sometimes they're met with, you know, kind of a, a blank face by the person behind the counter who just doesn't know what to do or doesn't. Well, want. I mean, it got to the point with LiveScore when I was trying to quit the my account, it got to the point where I researched them. I found that they were setting up a data science lab in Galway. I actually genuinely considered driving to Galway physically and presenting myself and saying, look, this is an advanced data science lab. Any chance you can help me quit the account? It, it had gotten to that point. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. As we talk here today, they still have all of the details from my account. They say they won't send me marketing material. Okay, fair enough. But there's no sense that they're going to delete the data. They say that they're doing it for regulatory purposes. And this, I suppose, brings it back to, to uh, legislation and law. One of the examples that I uh, brought up, and I'd be interested in either of your uh, views on this in relation to credit cards. First, to, first of all, whether credit card gambling is an issue, I would have thought it is. And secondly, in the UK, sort of a, a, a roundabout route to a credit card like Revolut, isn't used because the law there is quite strict about that and Revolut uh, is probably afraid that it, it might get um, hammered underneath it. Here, there isn't that sensibility to treat it as strictly because it's a, volu a voluntary code. I think there's a lot to play for in this legislation, isn't there? Because there are going to be amendments, there are going to be definitions on what credit card uh, gambling uh, means. Some of the Betting apps came back to me and said, ah, yes, but that's Revolut. That's not a credit card, even though they acknowledged that it was a credit card through Revolut. There still is a process, um, an important one to be decided here, isn't there, in the next few months? Yes, there's a lot to play for, Adrian. There's everything to play for. Um, and there are mechanisms that can be used and that actually are being used successfully in other jurisdictions. Um, for example, Finland has introduced loss limits, that is a concrete figure uh, beyond which you cannot lose any more money uh, uh, in a given month. And they, I think, set that limit at 2,000 euros initially. They brought it back to 500 euros. 
and it has led to a huge reduction, particularly in the number of younger people who are actually uh, gambling on a regular basis. So that's one thing that can be done. Um, the ban on credit cards is another, and it won't be difficult, I think, to impose a proper robust mechanism um, if the legislation uh, allows for it. Um, the, um, I, I, but I would go further. I would suggest a, we need a complete ban on gambling advertising, a blanket ban. Now, there are all kinds of variations of this in place. These so-called whistle-to-whistle bans for uh, football matches, for example. Um, you can't broadcast uh, gambling advertising before the watershed in many jurisdictions, for example. I would go further and say we need to treat this in exactly the same way we treated smoking advertising at an earlier point in time. We need to get rid of all of it. Can I just make a point on that in terms of how pervasive it is? So I'm a big soccer fan, football fan. So I will listen often to soccer coverage and Irish radio stations, UK radio stations like TalkSport. Most of them now have items, maybe two or three times a day, where they will go to, they have an item at the end of a, or in the middle of a show, which is now let's check the odds and check what the betting is on this weekend's matches. And they will bring in a representative from the betting company as a contributor to joke and talk jovially with the uh, the presenters about what's good value and what are short odds and what are long odds. And then some of them even try to make it sound very noble by saying that there's a charity bet involved. And presenter one, what's your charity bet this week? Well, there's a hundred euro that's going to go to this children's home. Presenter two, what's your charity bet? Well, it's something for the, the dog's rescue home. Great. And it's a five minute item for which the, the betting firm you know, is putting up 100 quid or 200 quid as a charity bet, but it's clearly marketing. Yes, and it goes further than that. Many of the big gambling corporations have introduced so-called social responsibility codes and uh, social responsibility adverts. But if you actually look at some of these adverts, and many of them go out very regularly on sports channels in particular, um, where they are actually enjoining people to be careful uh, not to bet if they feel stressed or under pressure or anything else. If you actually stand back and look at these ads, they are actually also uh, gambling adverts. So even where they're in this kind of social responsibility mode and trying to reach the public in that way, I would argue they're still actually advertising their products and they're still actually reaching their target audience. It's a clever way of doing it, isn't it? To, to present a, a really nice, soft, sober, we care ad about the, the virtues of gambling responsibly. It's about gambling responsibly and betting responsibly. It's a very, very clever tactic. Tony, from your perspective, looking forward, do you hope that things are going to get better or are you worried about the way the industry is going a bit of both i think i'm worried about where the industry is going but i also do hope that things do get better like just to come in quickly on the last point as well is that a lot of these responsible gambling messages puts all the onus on the individual you know when the fun stop stop take time to think it puts all the onus on the individual and it doesn't look at, at the fact that this is a highly addictive product a highly addictive behavior that needs to be regulated and legislated, you know, as soon as we can. Um, I am optimistic that, you know, you know, James Brown and the government have made real strong recommendations. And if they can follow through on that, we are, as John said, in a really good position to kind of really make this safer. 
And again, like I've, as I said many times, I've experienced extreme harm from gambling. I'm not anti-gambling in any shape or form. It is something that is you know, enjoyed by the majority. And any of these policies or procedures that are put in place won't take any of that enjoyment away from the normal punter, but it will protect the vulnerable and the children in our society who could be susceptible to develop a problem because of the rise of technology and accessibility. And I think that's where I'm, I'm hopeful that this will happen. Okay. Well, look, uh, at that, we are going to leave it here. I'd like to thank you both very much for coming on the podcast and and giving us your expert views. Professor John O'Brennan, the Jean Monnet Chair of European Integration Maynooth University, and Tony O'Reilly, a gambling counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling. And that's all we have time for this, folks. So for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent, and still with a live score bet account, I'll talk to you next week. Bye. (music) 